Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Taming the Shrew podcast. And this week we'll be recapping yet another journal club for us. This week we're going to broach a topic which is uh, certainly hot on the hot on the minds of most of the FOMED community um, and many emergency medicine providers, something that we encounter on a daily basis when we're working, and that is the specter of contrast-induced nephropathy, whether it really exists, how much of a harm can it be to our patients, and whether that patient who has a creatinine of 1.6 or 1.7 or 1.8 or 1.9, whether they're truly safe to receive contrast for a CT scan that we need to use during the course of our diagnostic evaluation. So joining us this week, we have Amanda Polsonelli, Nick Ludmer, and Mike Miller, all of which are third-year residents in our residency training program. They're going to be going through some articles here broaching this particular topic. Guys, why did you pick this particular article? Um, well, contrast studies are something that we perform uh, not infrequently in the, in the emergency department setting, and it's probably something we want to perform a lot more often than we do. And a lot of the consideration that goes into it is, one, the radiation exposure, but also um, considering the patient's kidney function and the potential for injury to, to the kidneys using this um, these ioninated contrasts or contrast materials. We've all been in a situation where we want to perform a contrasted study to get better definition of something, but we're hesitant to based on maybe their um, kidney function at the time, what their creatinine is. Um, and I think Spectre was a good choice because it uh, it's been recently called into question as to whether or not this is a legitimate concern um, or if it's uh, um, truly a risk to expose these people to contrast. Um, so what really brought it to our attention was recently in the emergency medicine literature, specifically in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, there was an article published at the end of 2016, which uh, Mike's actually going to cover here in a little bit, that sort of brought this more to our attention. There had actually been some previous studies in the radiology literature, as well as the nephrology literature, going back to 2013, um, that had also sort of brought this issue into question as to whether or not it's actually the contrast agent that's causing these kidney injuries or the patient's underlying um, medical processes or comorbidities. Um, so we were really interested in the topic, decided to dive a little bit deeper. We took sort of a broad approach looking at both, is this a real risk? And then also tried to examine what people do to avoid this risk and what, because uh, it seems to be um, fairly sporadic as to what people do. Is it, you know, give them fluids beforehand to try to minimize risk? Is that effective? Um, so we took the approach of trying to find papers that both confirm this study, reviewing the study itself, and then also looking at approaches to mitigate the risk in performing these studies. Fantastic. All right, well, let's start diving into the papers. Let's first take a look at the paper that first piqued your interest, the paper by Henson et al., published in Annals of Emergency Medicine, entitled Risk of Acute Kidney Injury After IV Contrast Administration. Dr. Miller, why don't you walk us through this paper? This was a single-study retrospective cohort analysis was performed in a large urban academic emergency department with an average census of approximately 62,000 visits per year. The question addressed in this article was how often does acute kidney injury occur after enhanced and unenhanced CT scans performed in the emergency department? The primary outcome was the incidence of acute kidney injury following a CT scan with IV contrast. The definition used for contrast-induced nephropathy was an absolute increase in creatinine, 0.5 milligrams per deciliter or greater than 25% increase of a baseline at 48 to 72 hours after contrast. The definition of acute kidney injury was absolute increase of 0.3 milligrams per deciliter or 1.5 to 1.9 fold increase in creatinine. Secondary outcomes included new chronic kidney disease, dialysis, and renal transplant at six months. These were determined using ICD-9 codes for procedures and diagnosis and a retrospective analysis. For methods, they used a multivariable logistic regression model and between odds ratio with and without propensity score matching. 
to test for an independent association between contrast administration and primary and secondary outcomes. To minimize bias, the author used two distinct control populations that did not receive contrast, propensity score analysis to minimize bias associated with treatment assignments and analyze large numbers of patients in subgroups of baseline renal function. Furthermore, selected clinical practice patterns were examined that may affect the incidence of acute kidney injury after contrast. The inclusion criteria were 18 years and older who had a CT with or without contrast from 2009 to 2014 and had an initial serum creatinine level performed 8 hours before and a second level performed 48 to 72 hours after the CT. To minimize bias associated with the decision to obtain imaging, a second control group of contrast media unexposed ED patients who had the same creatinine specifications but did not undergo CT. The exclusion criteria were creatinine less than 0.4, a creatinine greater than 4, history of renal transplant, previous or ongoing hemodialysis, an ED visit within 6 months before the study date, CT scan performed in 6 months preceding the index ED visit, or contrast CT within 72 hours of ED departure. Controls included age, sex, race, initial creatinine level, initial estimated GFR, chronic comorbidities, and acute severity illness indicators. Results. During the study period, 54,740 patients in the ED had a CT performed. Of these, 11,567 patients met inclusion criteria. For the patients without a CT scan, 5,234 met criteria. They found that contrast administration was not associated with an increased incidence of kidney injury. This was true in all subgroup analysis, regardless of initial baseline kidney function and whether comparisons were made directly or after propensity matching. The majority of patients who underwent acute kidney injury were stage 1. The incidence of acute kidney injury was 10.6% in the contrast CTs, 10.2% in the no contrast CT, or 10.9% in the individuals who did not have a CT at all. Other findings included physicians were more likely to give IV fluids for a contrasted study than unenhanced and less likely to use a contrast as a GFR decreased. Overall, they demonstrated no evidence of acute kidney injury after contrast in creatinine less than 4. Overall, they demonstrate no evidence of increased risk of acute kidney injury after contrast in creatinine less than 4, but all with supplemental data would suggest that no increase even after the creatinine is poor. Contrast administration was not associated with increased incidence of chronic kidney disease, dialysis, or renal transplant at 6 months. What does a study add to our knowledge? Using a propensity match case control design at one site, the frequency of acute kidney injury in 7,201 patients undergoing contrast CT and 5,499 undergoing unenhanced CT, as well as compared to 5,234 with no scan, did not differ in their incidence of acute kidney injury. How is it relevant? The study suggests the fear of causing an acute injury Acute kidney injury or long-term sequelae of renal disease from an emergency department CT has likely been overstated by previous studies in the years past. Obviously, to confirm this initial conclusion, further information will have to be gathered using a randomized clinical trial. Prior to articles such as this, fear of causing renal injury has likely impeded randomized clinical trials from developing. Lastly, and rightfully so, the author cautions drawing conclusions from the study by assuming there is no increased risk in contrast administration as the study is limited by its retrospective analysis. Excellent. Thanks so much. So let's take another look at this, maybe not necessarily in the emergency medicine-specific literature, but in the broader radiology literature. Uh, is there th- anything out there to help us get a look at uh, whether or not this contrast-induced nephropathy is indeed a thing? Uh, and if so, how can we best define it? 
Yeah, so in addition to the uh, article that Michael talked about, we also found several articles that sort of confirmed um, those findings that in these sort of retrospective um, uh, cohort studies, predominantly since 2013, the studies have been showing that there isn't too much of an increase in incidence in acute kidney injury following contrast administration. But we had sort of additional questions as to whether or not this was different with people with underlying kidney disease or that person that says, yeah, these papers don't seem to support acute kidney injury following contrast, but what about this patient with, you know, a GFR of 30 or end-stage renal disease or worsening renal disease? Like, is it still safe in these patients? Um, so we tried to find additional articles that sort of address that question, um, and we found one within the radiology literature in the American Journal of Rentinology, um, which is a difficult word to say. Um, but there was a study performed in June 2015, uh, performed by Garfinkel et al., that sort of took this question into account. Is, does this hold true for patients with um, sort of baseline underlying kidney disease? It was a study performed in a sort of a three-hospital system. All the hospitals utilized the same contrast as they were in the same system, had a lot of the same protocols. And what they did is, in addition to doing this retrospective cohort study where they just set aside a group of patients between January of 2006 and May of 2013... Um, who got contrasted studies and compared it to the same hospital population for patients who did not get contrasted studies and compared the incidence. But they also stratified these patients by their baseline renal function. Um, So sort of how they did this is their inclusion criteria. They didn't really have um, many risk factors in their inclusion criteria. They basically looked at age, sex, um, and what type of CT study was performed. Um, And if you met uh, we're in the, with, within the qualified age range, you, you essentially qualified. They didn't really pull anybody out with the exception of if you were already on dialysis. So um, in addition to stratifying people by their age, sex, and study type, they also tried to get an idea of their baseline renal function. Um, so to be included in the study, you had to have had at least five renal panels performed within a set time frame. So they needed you to have a renal panel 48 to 24 hours before you had your study performed, to assess your baseline renal function, and they had repeat studies performed all the way up to 96 hours afterwards to assess the true impact of the contrast. You had to have at least five of these renal panels within that time frame um, in order to be included. Really, the only exclusion criteria were if you were already on dialysis, meaning you were already in end-stage renal disease, um, or you had scans performed within one week of the scan in question um, to eliminate any, any bias or impact from previously administered contrast prior to those renal panels. With those inclusion criteria, they ended up recruiting or including about 2,580 scans. So it was a fairly well-powered study. Uh, And they sorted these patients out based on their renal function, sort of using the stages of chronic kidney disease that are well-established. They then rated the incidence of acute kidney injury and used the the definitions based on the acute kidney injury network, Um, stage 1 being an increase of 150 to 200%. In your serum creatinine, stage 2 being 200 to 300%, and stage 3 being greater than 300% creatinine increase. They also looked at the risk of dialysis, which was sort of calculated um, looking at information gathered from the dialysis database. So they followed these patients up after a set period of time to see how many of them actually underwent dialysis within that certain period following these contrasted studies to see not only did this cause acute kidney injury, but did it cause acute renal failure. And the results were interesting. Um... The overall result where they compared patients who underwent contrasted CTs versus their paired controls of non-contrasted CTs confirmed the results that were seen in other papers and the ones we see in the one Mike Miller discussed recently um, in that there was no increased incidence in acute kidney injury overall in that population uh, after receiving contrast-enhanced studies. The interesting part of this article is where they risk stratify it by your baseline kidney function. Um, They found that patients with 
uh, in the first two groups, the first group was greater than a GFR of greater than 60, and the second group was a GFR between 30 and 60. They found that this, these groups were statistically well-powered enough to say that there was no increased incidence in acute kidney injury following contrast administration. There was also no difference found in the groups that had GFRs of less than 30. However, due to the small numbers that were actually incorporated in the study in these groups, they were unable to make a solid conclusion that it, there is actually no increased incidence. The confidence intervals were just way too high, uh, ranging up to 14 to 18 um, in that study population. So what's interesting is that overall, it does, seem to, it does seem to agree with the previous studies we've seen in nephrology literature, radiology literature, and literature, and now recently emergency medicine literature. But it does not really give us too much help when you have that patient with underlying renal disease that you're worried about making it worse, um, it doesn't really give us that answer, I would say, because of the small, um, small amount of patients that actually fit in that category. The confidence intervals are simply too high um, to say specifically that it doesn't increase the incidence um, in that patient population. There are some other problems with the study, including that it didn't um, seem to risk stratify or, or rule out other confounding factors. It's really just sorted by age. Um, and then they, whether or not they received a contrasted study. So it doesn't look at really many other comorbidities um, that these patients have. Additionally, this study suffers from um, some of the standard problems you have with a retrospective cohort study in that there's a huge selection bias. These patients are sort of automatically being distributed into groups by their underlying kidney disease based on the physician's practice. If they have underlying kidney disease, they're less likely to receive a contrasted scan and therefore are sort of sorted into the non-contrast CT group. Conversely, if you have good renal function, you are more likely to receive the contrasted scan and have contrasted scan and are less likely to see you know, a major acute kidney injury because of it if you have healthy kidneys to begin with. Um, so it's hard to draw a specific conclusion without being able to randomize people, but unfortunately that's unethical um, in practice to do, so we're stuck to it doing these sort of retrospective cohort studies. Overall, I think it was well-structured for what it is, but it does have those sort of underlying um, problems with it and that we can't, can't randomize. All right, so a couple of retrospective reviews, both in the emergency medicine literature and in the radiology literature that seem to indicate there's no difference in acute renal failure for patients that receive contrast in comparison to those patients who did not receive contrast, even when propensity matched, uh, certainly in that paper that we talked about initially. So let's now switch gears a little bit and let's talk about a paper that looks at one of the common practices we have in the emergency department. We have that patient with a creatinine of 1.8 or 1.9 or 1.6, and we want to do the scan. And so what do we do? We prehydrate them, right? And we're going to give them a liter of saline before and maybe a liter of saline after. Does this really have any utility? Does that reduce rates of contrast-induced nephropathy? Does that improve patients' renal functions down the line? Dr. Polsonelli, I understand that you have a paper on this particular topic. Why don't you tell us about it? We wanted to look not only at literature on the evidence for or against contrast-induced nephropathy, but also at the utility of our current best practice of prehydration um, for prophylaxis in those with chronic kidney disease before getting a contrasted image. Fortunately, our timing was pretty good with an April journal club because just this month, the first article that I could find comparing normal saline um, prehydration to no prehydration um, for contrasted studies was published. This is the amazing trial that came out of the Netherlands. It was a single-center, randomized, prospective, parallel group, open-label, non-inferiority study comparing the use of current prehydration guidelines for those at high risk for CIN with no prehydration. 
This study was done over the course of two years from 2014 to 2016 at a single university referral hospital in the Netherlands. The inclusion criteria were in line with current European guidelines and include those with a GFR of 45 to 59 plus either diabetes or two other risk factors, those with a GFR of 30 to 45, those with multiple myeloma, or those with lymphoma and small chain proteinuria. Those with a very low GFR of less than 30, those on dialysis, and those currently in the ICU were excluded. Also, importantly for our discussion as emergency physicians, this test was done on those referred in for either a contrasted scan or vascular interventional study and not on those presenting in emergent situations. This study was conducted both for contrasted diagnostic studies as well as interventional procedures. The primary endpoints were incidence of CIN, as defined by an increase in creatinine by 25% within five days of the study, and cost-effectiveness of the intervention versus no intervention. The secondary endpoints were the change in creatinine and any major adverse events such as renal failure, heart failure, hyper or hyponatremia, or arrhythmias. Initially, it was hoped to enroll 1,300 patients, given the expected 2.4% incidence of CIN, to detect a non-inferiority margin of 2.1%. However, due to feasibility considerations, one year into the study, this enrollment target was adjusted to 660 patients. Ultimately, 328 patients were randomly assigned to the hydration group, and 332 patients were assigned to the no-hydration group. Intention to treat and per-protocol analysis was equivalent in the study, and patients in each group were very similar. In this study, a mean of 1,637 milliliters of normal saline was used for hydration, and a low osmolar iodinated contrast was used in every patient. Creatinine was followed up at 2 to 6 days after contrast and at 26 to 35 days after contrast. The primary endpoint results of the study were as follows. Only 8 patients in each group had an increase of 25% creatinine from baseline, meaning the definition of CIN. This is an incidence of 2.7% in the hydration group and 2.6% in the no hydration group. The confidence interval of the, of the absolute difference in the incidence of 0.1% was ranged from negative 2.25% to 2.06%. So the upper limit of the confidence interval was below the non-inferiority cutoff of 2.1%. Additionally, it was found that there was a significant cost effectiveness in the no hydration group, and this was particularly when it came to hospital state charges. As to the secondary endpoints, there were no major renal events, no admissions to ICU, no dialysis in either group. There were, however, 13 patients, or 4% in the hydration group, who experienced complications related to hydration that forced, um, required forced diuresis or prolonged hospital stay. There were four patients who experienced arrhythmia during the treatment, and there were no events in the no hydration group. Ultimately, the study found that no prehydration prophylactic treatment is non-inferior to prehydration. Additionally, at least in the Netherlands health system, the cost-effectiveness of no hydration was apparent and related primarily to reduced length of hospital stay. Finally, prehydration therapy was associated with additional risks of fluid overload and arrhythmias. The strength of this study is that the prospective randomized design comparing our most common pretreatment with no pretreatment, it is difficult to truly estimate the incidence of CIN, and this is currently hotly debated. However, using best data available, they were able to produce data with confidence intervals ranging below the cutoff for non-inferiority, although the sample size was half of their original intent. The disadvantages to the study are primarily that it's a single-center study done with non-emergent imaging. 
if you, a patient has hypotension or other physiologic stresses, um, such as our patients in the emergency department, these may have dynamic effects on CIN that will be missed by the study. Additionally, the study uses a GFR cutoff of 30 for safety considerations, so it can't be applied to those with that degree of renal failure. However, even given these limitations, I do agree with the conclusion of the authors that considering withholding prehydration in those at risk for adverse events due to the hydration in order to obtain a much-needed contrasted study using optimal contrast media with those with a GFR over 30 may be reasonable. So where are we now? Now, Based on the best currently available evidence, the administration of contrast doesn't seem to affect the rate of development of acute kidney injury. However, the evidence we have is primarily retrospective in nature, thereby prone to selection bias, and is best powered in those patients with normal pre-existing renal function. We really don't have an excellent base of evidence for that patient who we have the most concern for, the patient with a creatinine of 1.8, GFR of 25 to 30, and whom we want to get a contrasted study. So what do we do with that patient? Well, we discussed it at length at Journal Club, and for most providers, the answer of what to do with that patient came down to the indication for the contrast in the first place. Are you concerned about aortic dissection, carotid dissection, some arterial occlusion, or some other vascular catastrophe? Well, that patient should probably get the scan with contrast because there may be no other way to definitively assess for what is a life or limb-threatening disease process. If a non-contrasted study isn't going to significantly compromise your diagnostic evaluation, well, it would be reasonable to withhold contrast in that patient. Now, we're really looking forward to additional evidence on this particular topic, especially in patients with pre-existing renal disease. Well, thanks again for joining us for another breakdown of an excellent journal club topic and go on to tamingthetrue.com for a full breakdown of the papers and links to the papers, and uh, we'll see you next time.